All right. Well, that's the last time you're ever going to hear that song unless you listen to the archives. Of course, our song, which we um, contracted years ago by, by a band out of, uh, I think they're out of Chicago or something. Um, Zilpha, do you remember? Uh, where's the Selden plan? Yeah, we we uh, we we got that song years ago, and it's served us well. I've met the band. I've talked to them. Um, they know that we've been using it. They're uh, fully in support of it, and it's been a great run for the the Selden Plan. The song's name is See a Word. If you're not sick of it, you can go out there and find it and and, uh, and find their work. Well, welcome to the um, final John Larson episode. I'm here in studio, uh, fist in your face, with another fantastic studio audience. Welcome, guys. Um, and, and here we are, meeting at the end. It's it's kind of a, a, a soft ending, um, meaning I'm not fully going away. We'll talk about that a little bit more. But um, I plan on continuing um, giving support to the uh, new host, which you will not hear about tonight, um, but you will hear about shortly. We should be really putting out a press release in the next week or so. Um, and um, that we'll be taking a week off um, from the podcast, and then January, uh, Tuesdays at 7 p.m. here in Salt Lake, same place, same time, well, 7 p.m., we've been doing it at 6.30, um, we'll kick back in again, and I'll see you in the new year. Um, so the question is, when you do your last podcast, what exactly do you talk about? Um, and the podcast has been an interesting um, um, journey for me, and I'll come back to that again, but I've never separated myself out of the podcast um, because I didn't know how to do that. Um, and from early on, we started talking about you know, how it impacted us, and every so often, every six months or so, we would do feedback episodes and um, sort of let you in on what was going on. Of course, my life um, went through some major changes. It's been about five and a half years since we began, and it was about six months of planning before that. So it's been about six years for me that I've been doing uh, Mormon expression. Um, during the time, I lost my job. I had to move across the country. I got divorced, and here I am. So um, it's, it's been an interesting ride. Um, what I've come to is I've learned some, a few things. So tonight, I'm going to take you through the list of things I have learned. It should be top 10, but I have 11 of them. Um, the 11 things that I have learned um, doing Mormon expression. So that's, that's what we're going to talk about tonight. Um, first, in one of my first jobs that I got hired as a supervisor of people, it wasn't my first supervisory position, but I was hired. Um, I went through the interview process. I was handed the team. They, you know, they, 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 they talked it up. And then I got there. And they said, welcome, we're so glad you're here. In three weeks, you're gonna fire these four people. Um, and um, they came in and started talking to me, and I, when you're um, a, a, a manager for a company, you have a legal obligation to represent the company. So had I told them that they were going to be fired, um, they, I would have been in legal trouble. You, you, you actually cannot do that. And so they start talking about their hopes and dreams and what they want, and I know, what's coming. I also know that they had timed it, the company had, so it looked like I came in and revamped the team and cleaned house. 
To this day, nobody in that little company, that little branch office knows, I would assume, that it, that it wasn't me, that it was coming from corporate. I was positioned to take the fall. Um, this is things I've learned at Mormon Expression and other things. Number one, being a boss is not fun. Um, and it's not easy. And oftentimes there's hard decisions that have to be made. And you have an um, obligation to not talk about why things are done in a certain way. And this podcast has always been a creative endeavor, but it's had a lot of, a lot of mechanisms behind it. A lot of things going on. Thousands of hours of work. And oftentimes, hard decisions had to be made. Um, and, you know, you're interacting with people and doing all those things. Um, and they weren't always fun. And oftentimes, I'm in a position where I can't respond. If people um, say things that may or may not be true, I just can't respond. Um, and that's okay. That, that's all right. Uh, this came particularly, um, particularly true um, and this is not like a, I can't respond, but sort of being the boss is not fun because everybody else can talk. When um, Zilf and I went through the divorce, um, there were a lot of terrible things said about both of us. Um, uh, mostly, for the most part, not true. Neither of us had an affair. Like, that's a, that's a common um, refrain that either one of us cheated on the other. That, that, that didn't happen. Um, and our, our divorce was amicable. We're still friends to this day. That doesn't mean it wasn't hard. Divorce is very difficult, and I wouldn't recommend it unless it's a last resort um, because it's not, it's not fun. But the podcast itself has always had the divorce sort of as an, under, as an undercurrent. About uh, three months ago, I got a somewhat distraught email from a listener who had started from the beginning um, for whatever reason, she had not started from the end. She had just started at the beginning. And then she had just arrived at my divorce. And so she was sending me an angry email um, about the divorce that happened a couple of years ago. So I, I still get those. As a matter of fact, I got um, a piece of hate mail last night um, about uh, a, a party that happened at my house years ago. And somebody was upset that she got hit on by a married guy or whatever. This is fucking four years ago. And I, I responded and said, uh, I'm not responsible for everything that happens at my house. I mean, I try to police things as best I can. Just, no, 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 you are. You're responsible. You're John Larson. You're in charge. So <laughs> being the boss is not fun. That was the lesson I learned. Let's get the, um, the second lesson I learned, which is equally not as fun to talk about. The world is full of pain. When I started this podcast, it was kind of on a lark. Um, I was interested in Mormon studies. I had pretty well moved beyond. Like I didn't, um, I didn't think about the church all the time. It didn't. I wasn't. I was out of my angry phase. Let's say that I hadn't moved beyond, but I was out of my angry phase. Um, and then the podcast started touching people, and they started sending us mail and email. And I discovered this world out there of shit that we were swimming in, and I wasn't even aware. Because I said in the podcast last week that my experience in the church was, for the most part, positive. I just didn't believe it. I didn't, it wasn't emotionally satisfying to me. But I started learning about the pain and suffering that comes about because of the disassociation from one's identity, from one's culture, from one's religion. And it changed the ball game for me. I was talking to a friend a couple days ago, um, and, or a week or so ago, and she said to me, 
um, you know, she was talking to me about this podcast. She said, are you going to talk about the fact that you used to be nice at the beginning and then you became mean? <laughs> and I think that's partly related to that. It's partly related to when I started, I, I kind of wanted a voice of, of neutrality. I, I knew that critics, I'd, I'd been engaged in online um, criticism and debate and apologetics for some years by the time I started the podcast. And I knew that critics of the church tended to be marginalized just out the gate. So I was trying to achieve some kind of neutrality to not hide my bias, but demonstrate that I could engage in a non-biased way. Well, as the podcast proceeded, probably by the end of the first year, I was no longer, it was no longer about just talking about the church. We, uh, we had hit a nerve and it grew explosively. Um, I remember us talking about, in one of the first meetings, talking about we would be successful if we had a thousand listeners, a thousand downloads. And I think we hit a thousand downloads like in, by day 10 and it just took off from there. And, um, and because because of the, the approach that we had, and I think the honesty, um, and one of the early debates I got in with one of the participants um, was about playing roles, playing personas on, on air. This particular individual liked to do that. And I said, no, I want it to be genuine. You can say whatever the hell you want, but it needs to come from the heart. Um, and I think that generally shown through and shown through all the other bullshit that whatever you could say about what we were doing or what we we're saying, we were honest and we were genuine. We might be snarky, we might be sarcastic, we might be prone to hyperbole, all those things, but there was, a, there was an element of honesty that I think touched a lot of people. So my rhetorical stand, I've always been kind of a dick and I've always been, um, you know, like, I always swore, um, um, so so that wasn't anything new. But that came through as I as I vicariously ran into this pain and this suffering out, out in the world. And what makes it doubly hard is that if you talk to somebody fresh out of the church, they will insist to themselves and to you and to everybody else that they are not suffering because. The church has been telling them so long that if they leave the church, they will, in fact, suffer. And we will not allow that to be true. This is the biggest obstacle we face with, like, Whitefields of getting people who are fresh out of the church to go to counseling. Because, because fresh deconverts, deconverts, whatever they want to insist that everything is now glorious and everything's happy. And it's only years later that people say, I wish I'd gone to therapy right back then, and then it would have been helpful. But I, I understand that. I mean, I had it too. Because you feel this great sense of relief of not having to try to make it work anymore. There's this thing that happens in divorce or breakups um, where you're working and working and working on the relationship. And then you decide you're going to get a divorce. And you're, you're overcome with this sense of relief because these problems you've been working on for years suddenly don't have to be resolved. And suddenly, you're friends again, right? Because you're not trying to fix anything. And then it's a week or two later, you say, why are we getting a divorce? This is fantastic. And then, you know, you kind of get back together, and then it doesn't take long till the old issues surface. And sometimes you'll do that over and over. I know people have done that for years, that cycle. And we can do that with the church. Oftentimes, you know, you, you leave, you're suddenly, you don't have your calling, you don't have to get up on Sunday morning, you're not paying this exorbitant tithing. And you can kind of ignore the, the issues that you need to deal with internally. 
and but they're going to come up. Um, I was talking to a friend just the other night, and we were talking about how so many the the church and the religion impacts so many parts of our psyche, um, and and this is part of its um, tenacious nature. It winds itself around every part of your life, and you think you've dealt with it, and then something happens. Um, someone dies, someone gets married, something you hadn't thought about, and suddenly you find the church has its fucking roots there too, and you have to dig those up. And this happens over and over again through your life as you slowly weed the garden. It's like morning glory, and you have to keep pulling it out and pulling it out, and and it takes a long time to hit all those things. And you think you think you're done, and then something happens and triggers it, and it pulls you right back in. And it takes, it takes years to get through that. Okay, so that's number two. Number three, the number three thing I've learned, I honestly believe that people, almost to a person, genuinely have good intentions. When I look at the, the brethren, I think for the most part, um, they, they are trying to do what they think is good in this world. And, and I think that human beings, if you want to understand human beings, we are fundamentally, um, we fundamentally have good intentions, we want to do good, but we're selfish. That's sort of my model of, of humanity. So if you wanna predict, um, if, if somebody can act selfishly hurting the least number of people, they always will. Um, and that's, that's just sort of a good way to understand people. But I've seen lots of things happen. I've seen lots of the underside of things um, you know, here in, in the podcast, and I think, that in all these worlds and all these maneuvers and all these people playing against other people that happens in this this borderland world of Mormons and ex-Mormons, I think for the most part, everybody is has the best of intentions. It doesn't always manifest that way. Um, and I've seen that myself, you know, going through the struggles I have to keep this uh, up and running, you know, going through the personal struggles I have that, that I, I think we generally, one of the problems of religion is the construction of, of, of evil and saying, oh, this, 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 this is evil. These people are our enemies. And this is one of the reasons the Book of Mormon is a lousy book because it, it has that construction and the construction is not useful. And if you drop it, if you're ever in your line of thinking, you think, oh, well, this guy's the bad guy. That's why he's acting this way. You know, Packer is just a just a douchebag. So that's why he's acting that way. You're probably wrong. You need to dig deeper because I think everybody is the hero of their own narrative and they're acting in the way that they think is justified and they think is right. Um, uh, there's something I learned that I never thought, I never, never sought out for one bit. Um, and, and that is the American um, culture of celebrity gossip. And not just, I'm not really talking about aimed at me, but I get a lot of it forwarded to me. The people love to talk. We love to gossip. I was reading, um, I think I said this last week, but I was reading Jonathan Haidt's Happiness Hypothesis and um, recently. And he said, he was talking about a study of communication. They said about 85% of communication is gossip. Like 85% of what we say to one another, we're talking about other people. It's sort of hardwired into us, and, and that's fine. But in America, we have this culture that once somebody is a celebrity, then you can say whatever you want about them. And, and it, it's, it's been a fascinating thing to watch, especially um, 
I have not been the brunt of most of it, but I've seen things like, um, you know, Kay Kelly or John DeLynn or some of these guys just get it with both barrels. Um, I, I remember when John DeLynn, you know, he, he was a project manager for, um, for Microsoft and he, he, he quit to do the, his podcast full time. And there's tons of people who use his services, right? And at the time, he was pushing for funds, and he I think he announced or he released he's making $40,000 a year. And ex-Mormons went apeshit that this guy could possibly have the audacity to try to make $40,000 a year off of this thing that he was doing you know, you know, nearly full-time. And, and the terrible things that were, were said about him. And I've had people appear on this podcast um, more than once who've said something random in, in a moment and just been lit up in, in, in the internet. The age of Gamergate is upon us, and the internet is a nasty, dirty place. And I never had any idea until I, until I started this podcast. When I interviewed the new host, one of the first questions I asked him, I said, have you ever had anybody seriously hate you? I'm not talking about high school, but I'm talking about real, strong, venomous hate, because you will. And it's something that I had never encountered until I came here, that there are people out there who, who passionately hate me and, and want to see me destroyed. Not very many, and I'm not real scared of them, I'd, uh, but they're out there, and I, I just ha I had no idea this, this exists. And it's made me, in fact, step back from the ex-Mormon world because when the ex-Mormons smell blood in the water, they attack. And it's, I know it's coming from a place of pain. Let's go back to number three. People generally have good intention. But it's real and it's dirty. And ah, um, I never knew it existed there. Um, the, related to that is, is an interesting phenomenon, as I've been through this over the past six years or so, is people interact with a model of me that they have in their head. It's the strangest thing in the world that I seldom talk to anybody who's talking to me. They don't know me. Um, they think they do. And um, one thing I've joked about, but it's absolutely true, I, I sometimes don't like talking to new people anymore because I see the bright look that comes on their face and they realize who I am. Until I talk to them for about two minutes and watch the look drain away as they interact with me, the real person, and I'm no longer whatever it was they had assembled in their head. I think one of the, we, we're coming up on a year that we've been in the studio, one of the really um, things that actually keeps me up at night, it, 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 is, it, is, it has bothered me quite a bit, is people come to the studio to meet me. But I'm at the studio, I'm performing. So if you come here early, you'll see me like fucking around with wires and speakers and, and setting up chairs and emptying trash. And I sit down. And then afterwards, I've been to work all day. And I just sort of, and I've been thinking about the podcast. And I just sort of performed. And I'm kind of spent. And I know I've disappointed lots and lots and lots of people who've come here to the studio basically to meet me, but it's a really lousy place to meet me because I'm sort of in my element. This is why if you're actually famous, you come in the door right when it starts and you leave out the door. You know, like the like if you go watch a band perform, they don't come they don't hang out in the audience and then go sit and then come back down because they're 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 putting their energy in. And I know that sounds kind of dickish to say, but it's, it's actually made me feel bad that I haven't been able to interact with people um, like I would like, like I, I would enjoy. There has not been a single night go by that we've recorded that there hasn't been somebody. There's always somebody who's sitting here alone. I watch them. I see them. 
and they come and they sit and they sit quietly and then they usually leave right at the end. I just, all I can do is talk, you know, I can't, I mean, there's, there's, it's, it's so hard, like leaving the church and, and the, the church that's around is so hard and there's people who are coming out and they're, 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 they're grasping, they're looking for a community, they're looking for support and, and I just I haven't been able to achieve that. I've tried to 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 get that community to support the people, but it's it's one of my failures. And I am um, it keeps me talking. I mean, I I gave up on Mormonism like as an item of interest a long time ago, and I kept pushing through because I kept getting messages from people who because of the way we deconstructed Mormonism and because of the way um, I was sardonic and just sort of laughed at it, um, it to use a child's reference um, the in Harry Potter. What were those things that came out of the closet called uh, that you laughed at and then they went poof? Come on, you guys. Uh, what, where's my kids? What is it, Katie? Bogarts. Yeah, the church, the church is that way. And when you laugh at it, um, when you make fun of it, when you pull it out in the day, then it loses its it loses its venom, and 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 that's that's what we've been doing. Um, I realize that now, all these years later, after leaving the church, I I have no tribe. I have not been able to find one. Um, when Zilpha and I first left, we actually started, before we quit going to the Mormon church, started attending Unitarian church. And we attended off and on for about six years. About six years of my life, we were, we were Unitarians. Um, um, then, then I, you know, for there was a time in my life when I sort of reached out to the ex-Mormon community and tried to create a community. I opened my home um, basically to anybody who would want to come. You know, we would have parties and soirees and, and whatever to try to create this sense of community. But I believe after watching these communities for a long time, being involved in some of the back-end politics behind some of these communities and whatnot, that you cannot define a community around a negative. You can't create a community around being ex-Mormon. It does not work. It is unstable, and it will sort of fall apart. Now, the positive is oftentimes ex-Mormons find each other during that stage, and then they, they get their small core group of friends, and they, they move on. So these groups that appear to be coming and then, then falling apart, they're not really falling apart so much as people just find their friends, and then they stop opening them to the douchebag public. Um, that's what happens most of the time. Um, but... That's, that's not the same as having a tribe, as having an identity, as having a people. And I, I've just not been able to achieve that in my life. I'm kind of at peace with it. Um, I, I know it's probably never going to happen, um, but it's sort of sad to me. Um, the, I, what I've learned over the last couple of years is Utah is actually full of ex-Mormons. There are more ex-Mormons than anything else. But most of them do not interact with the ex-Mormon world, usually because they have a tribe. If you were part of some community, it can be something like you're a Utah jazz fan. You were a Utah jazz fan. That's where you pull your identity when you were a Mormon. You leave the church. You're still a Utah jazz fan. Case closed. 
Like, because you didn't pull your sense of self, your sense of who you are from your religion. And people like me, unfortunately, did. I pulled a strong sense of who I was and, and where I sat in the world from Mormonism. And that's why I struggled with it. But more importantly, <laughs> I, I then became attached to this ex-Mormon world, which in many ways is, well, it's, it's more correct than the church. And generally, it's not as harmful. I mean, the church has so many resources, they can really bugger people up. Um, Ex-Mormons just get you drunk and, you know, make you do things you're going to regret. Um, but but it, they don't have any real power. But the, the, that's not necessarily a healthy tribe. And there, there are people who I, who I love and who I've been there with, but they're not people who I identify with anymore. And I, and I, and I, I, I really, these days, keep an arm's distance from, from ex-Mormons. Um, I think I gave the podcast a while ago about ex-ex-Mormons, and those people I, 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 I tend to associate with. Uh, most of my close friends were, were religious at one point or not because we sort of get one another. We know where that's coming from. Um, and it's also because, hell, you're in Utah. You either have people who were religious or are religious. There's not a lot of, there's not a lot of the other around here. If you go to the East Coast, where you'll find a lot more people who have just never been religious at all. Um, you have to keep searching for the gems. They're there. But the, we live in a world of mediocrity. Um, and there are wonderful people out there, and there are wonderful things, and, but they're not going to fall in your lap. There's other people who, the great jobs and great relationships and all this stuff just falls in your lap. You're not one of them, so quit worrying about it. Um, you have to go and you have to find um, and, and, and for those who've left the church, that means you have to find yourself. You have to find your place. Maybe you will find your tribe. I didn't. But you'll, you'll find your thing. I found my things. I found the things that give me, that give me um, tranquility, that give me peace, that give me satisfaction, that make me feel like I contribute to this world, that make me feel um, that what I'm doing matters. And I think that everyone needs to realize that that takes more energy than you want it to. Um, it's not just going to happen. Um, and, you know, the other side is we're surrounded by douchebags, and we are douchebags uh, from time to time, right? So, so yeah, you have to keep searching. Um, probably the most important thing I've learned from Mormon Expression is that success comes from lots and lots and lots of failure. Um, and in, with Mormon Expression, when we're recording kind of out loud, you can see, I, I went through this afternoon, I went through and reread the description of every single podcast we've done. And to kind of, kind of relive that, um, you know, what, what's happened over the last five or six years. And I, I'm both proud and somewhat embarrassed by the, by the failures. Um, and, but that's where success came from, is from keeping going on to try and try and try and try. And sometimes there's things I've tried multiple times that still haven't worked, but by gum, I'm not going to give up on them yet. I'm going to keep trying. And I think that the general rule is 90% of everything that you're going to try in life is going to fail. And so the trick is volume. <laughs> um, You've got to up the. You've got to up the ante. I, I wish I'd written another quote down. It, I know it's by George Orwell, 
And and George Orwell basically said that any autobiography um, looks like a failure because when you look at your own life, you you'll see things that you tried and tried and tried and tried, but weren't able to succeed. And that's sort of how you see the world. There, there's, there's a phenomenon in psychology, and I don't know the name for it, forgive me, but you'll actually be happier by winning the lottery than you will by getting a PhD. Because the joy that comes from getting a PhD is incremental. And by the time you actually go from not having a PhD to having a PhD, you're talking about a small frame in time. Like you already enjoyed the success of getting your dissertation approved. You already enjoyed the success of having your last class. It doesn't all come on you at once. And so oftentimes as you work through life and, and you, you climb up that ladder and get more and more and more um, to where you want to be, you don't realize it. Other people look at you and say, oh, if I had that office or I had that position or I had that beautiful husband or whatever, then I would be happy. But by the time you get there, you've already spent your happiness that those things give you. And, and, um, and then you're left on this heaping pile of failure, right? But that's what success looks like. You, success looks like a big field of bones um, because it takes lots. Now, there are people who are like serendipitously successful, but again, that's not you, so quit worrying about it. <laughs> um, these ones were kind of downer. I, I, I want to kind of end the list on a higher note. We want to replace things that we lose in life. We want to rebuild them. That's our first instinct. But you can't do it. And as a matter of fact, some of the great cities of the world, like Tokyo, or San Francisco, are what they were, Chicago, are what they were because they were burned or they were destroyed. And they didn't just try to rebuild what they had before. It was an opportunity to re-envision the city. And when you experience major loss, like religion, like divorce, the first instinct is to go after what you didn't have in the first place. So, so what you're trying to do is you're trying to rebuild this idealized state of what you thought you should have had and it will inevitably fail. You're trying to build this, this castle around this, this dream that never was. And, and for some people, for example, they see Mormonism of what they didn't have as this restriction, right? They, they, they weren't allowed to drink and they weren't allowed to party and they weren't allowed to just do whatever they want on Sunday. So they define themselves, like we talked about becoming an XX Mormon and just reversing what it was they were told they couldn't do before. Luckily, that doesn't stick. Most people move beyond that. And then what they'll do in a healthy manner is they will, instead of trying to rebuild, they will build something anew. And that's where the magic happens. When you come, when you strip that ego away from whatever it was you were interacting with and can look beyond and say, what, now what can I do? It's, it's the, the great, the, the movie's kind of mediocre, but the great scene from the end of um, that Tom Hanks movie where he gets stuck on the island. What, what movie is that called? Castaway. The, the best part of the movie is the end where he walks to the, the intersection out in the desert and he looks and he sees there are four roads going in any direction. He can go any direction. And that's the beauty of, of, of the gift, really, of losing your culture, of losing your identity. Um, because then you come to this other side and you, you realize at some point that you can go in any direction. The world is wide open. 
Um, and this gift is a, is a hard-earned gift that you wouldn't wish on people, but you'll hear the same thing from people like amputees, people who suffer major, major loss, who have to give up everything that they were. And then at some point they come and realize, well, I have a whole new set of options that are open to me um, that are amazing in and of themselves. They'll give up trying to reconstruct the old, and then they have space for the new. And that's the wonderful space that we find ourselves in. The, 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 the destruction that continues to happen. I continue to have negative elements pop up in my life caused by the church, even though it's been so many years. The church's fingers are long. I, um, I was talking last week, I've started a new job, and what's fascinating is before, I'm, I'm working for a, a large company, but a local company, and before I worked for a national company. I worked with people in my old company three years. Three years. They did not know what my family status was. They didn't care. They didn't know if I was married or divorced. They didn't know if I had kids. People I talked to every single day. Everybody I work with in Utah in the last four days has ascertained as much as they can about my personal life. It's fascinating. It's not like I'm, I'm, I'm reticent to share it, but it's just fascinating that they, that, that they have to pigeonhole everybody into those elements. I'm getting Facebook requests. Again, I worked with people for years and years and years, but, but that intrusion into my personal life is fascinating. And it has, it's not real negative, it's not real scary, but it has a religious bent to it. And, and you can get the code words and stuff, and stuff like that, that, that religion um, um, is all around us, and you can't escape. Zilf and I tried. We left the state. Um, and that wasn't our sole motivation, but I'll tell you, it was in there, to get away from Mormonism and start, and start anew, but you can't escape yourself. You can't escape your family. You can't escape your identity. And you'll move, and then you might find a place you really love, and that, there's nothing wrong with that. But you'll find that you came right along with you, with you with all of your baggage. The last thing um, that I learned, all of this, what the church deals in, what the ex-Mormons and all the ex-Mormon media and, and, and whatever, it's all fundamentally about love. What the church brokers in is love. Now, that sounds really positive, but they use it as a control mechanism. When they interfere with weddings and you know, key elements of people's lives, when they drive that wedge, when they practice excommunication and disfellowshipping, shunning what, and withholding, what they ultimately say, you know, they'll teach you in seminary that, that if you're being naughty, then God won't answer your prayer. You have to be obedient. You have to do what the church says, even to have your father in heaven, even to get the love from your parents. They broker in, in love. And what this whole thing we're talking about, all this bullshit about history and philosophy and requirements and blah, 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 it's all ultimately about the what fundamentally makes us human being, which is the ability to be social animals, to love um, not just romantically or not just from a familial sense, but that this, this larger community, and that's what the church wants. They don't care about anything else. They want to control that, and they want to control those mechanisms um, that, that, that we can use to take that back. 
I mean, what, what, what do they want to control? Sexuality. They want to control relationships. They want to control intergender relationships. They want to control homosexuality. Anything that's a real expression of love. Um, they want to control charity, right? They don't want you really to take care of your neighbors. They want you to give it all to them so they can distribute it. They want to be the hub of all of human generosity. I mean, it's the same belabored point that I keep making, that the church takes from you what's, what's yours, and what is yours to give is human compassion and human loving kindness, and the church does not want that. The church wants monopoly on that, but that's what we ultimately have, and that's our ultimate weapon against the church. And that's what we have a responsibility to rebuild, those social structures. Sometimes I'm pessimistic. And um, this sort of leads to where I am now. Um, to, to me, it's gone beyond. It started out as this lark on Mormon studies and went to dealing with this colossal amount of pain and suffering and, and um, people deconstructing their own religion to the last couple of years, the realization this is about identity and, and, and love and where we fit in, in the world. And I realized that for I and so many were spending so much time deconstructing religion and showing where religion fucked it all up, but we weren't spending any time giving, making any sort of alternative. And that's because that's a tough problem. That's a hard nut to crack. Um, religions work because they use fear and they use love and they use general human things to motivate people to do things. And if you don't have those controls on people, sometimes it's hard to get them to do things. Sometimes it's hard to get them to follow through if they don't believe in hell. So, so it, is a, it is a tough problem, but it continues to be one that, that gives me meaning. And um, I think that, that that's what we're about. Identity, meaning, love. What, what, how do we interact with this world? How is that important? And um, I see people, I've been sitting in this chair long enough that I've seen people you would not believe go back to church. And part of it is that, that structure of having neighbors and having compassion. And, because ultimately, 95, 98% of people in, in church are just trying to do good. They're just trying to do their best. They're genuinely sincere. Um, and the church intentionally overloads them. So the, the church wants you to be in a constant state of failure, right? Which goes to kind of why I'm here tonight. Um, you, when you're a part of an unhealthy organization, if you have a bad therapist, if you're going to go see a new therapist, one thing you should ask is, how do we get done? When will you and I, dear therapist, know that we're done with therapy? And if your therapist cannot answer that question, run away. And, and so any organization that's about healing you, that's about having you move on, that can't explain what the exit strategy is, get out. If you're invading a country and you have no exit strategy, get out. There should always be an exit plan. And, and this is my exit plan. I've said what I need to say, and, and it's time for me to move on. Um, so my relationship towards Mormonism, I, Mormonism is not that interesting to me anymore. It, 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 to me, it's sort of a case study, but there's bigger, broader issues, and there's things that need to be plumbed pretty deep. Um, that, that's, that's just me. I, I, I go for the deeper stuff. And I see some big problems in how we process the world. I see big problems in why we're clinging to religion. I see big problems in, in how many people are replacing science um, and quote-unquote science as a, as a new religion. 
Um, and those are the kind of ideas that, that I branched out and I'm exploring in my little podcast. I have to give a plug every time, right? So my johnlarsonpodcast.com, that's where I'm talking about that. But to me, I've sort of moved beyond Mormonism and it doesn't, it doesn't compel me the same. Um, I expect to see me around the fringes, um, you know, at Sunstone conferences, I'll come back on the podcast for a while, but it's just, it's not at the core of, of, of my energy. And that's, that energy is what it takes to drive this every week. And I just, I just don't have that anymore, but I still believe that we have a responsibility and an opportunity to build something that can take the place of religion. And that's what ultimately I'm working towards. By the way, um, I checked, um, we set the campaign to pay for the studio and, and the stuff you know, um, for $5,000, which covers six months. We are now at 9,770. So thanks everybody who has. Um, which means we have the goal for 2015 that this, this um, space and whatever other space we have will be free and open to the public. Um, where I am, um, this I, I, I sort of opened this dialogue back in June. I actually opened it a year and a half ago or two years ago um, when um, Zilfa and I were first proceeding through the divorce. And um, we took a step back from the podcast for obvious reasons. Our personalities and who we were were just sort of intertwined with that. And divorce is fundamentally about identity, just like religion is, because so much of who you are is wrapped up in that family relationship. And so we had to take a step back. But for me personally, it was very important to re-engage it and, and to come back and sort of reclaim that part of my identity. Because for, for me, there, I just sort of lost my, my way, not, not like lost my way, like I started doing drugs or anything. I just, my, um, when I went through the divorce, my identity was just stripped. And there were days when it was all I could do to go into, into work, let alone keep this shit running. So, but I was able to re-engage and, and to come back. And as a matter of fact, we, after I came back sort of on fire at the end of last year, we were able to double um, uh, um, our listenership. So, so this last year has been very important for me in terms of um, helping close that, that, um, that loop in my life. So um, this has been a time, I, I, during the time of the divorce and the, the, the podcast, I work from home which gave a great transition um, for me and for the kids, but um, I've graduated from that. So I, in my life right now, I'm, I'm, I've started a new job. Um, I'm gonna be moving in the next couple months um, into a new place. Um, I have sort of taken step back from uh, relationship-wise, and I'm, I'm just, I'm focusing in on being an independent person. And it takes a while from religion and from divorce and all that to sort of get your feet underneath you. And I am in a really fantastic place. Um, and you've all sort of, sort of witnessed it going along. And if you listen carefully to the podcast, people have criticized it as being all about me, but it's, it was really my, my journey that you, um, you watched for good and for bad. And, um, sometimes it was, it, it was, I, it's difficult to be out there like that, to have people who know, you know, everything about you or what they think they know about you, because there's still a, a core of me that's unavailable to, to, to most. Um, 
So I want to go back now, the, the the last thing for tonight, and and take a step back through through the podcast and and give give thanks where thanks is due. First of all, to the um to the four guys, five guys, who helped me start it. That was Tom, Garen, well four guys. I was the fifth. Tom, um, Garen, who went by George. If you listen to the early podcast, he was using a pseudonym at the, at the point. Um, Jim and Niall, um, they were they were great friends and um. And they they really helped get things going, and you know the podcast started out as this as this sort of dialogue, for various reasons um, drifted. Jim was in here uh, a month or two ago. He's in Vegas. Um, uh, Garen came out to our live show up in up in Portland. Um, um, Niall is in Oslo. I, he's 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 uh, he's in he's in Europe somewhere. He's still kicking around, and Tom um, is. Um, alive and kicking on the Infants on Throne podcast, so he's he's still there. Of course, um, Zilpha, bless her heart, um, told me in the beginning she didn't want anything to do with this, but reversed herself a few weeks later, and um, she has been such an instrumental part of the podcast and was always my advisor in chief, and um, and it wouldn't be um, what it was without her. And um, which is why we recorded that the the, the divorce podcast, and um, we have been criticized both of us for taking um, our split lightly, but um, we never did, and um, and and it wasn't easy, and it wasn't easy to do it publicly, but um, you know she's a wonderful person, and and we. We we swallowed it and we we moved forward and kept and kept fighting through. The hope we always had was that it might inspire somebody to not to not fight um, and to try to do it right. And the payoff has been absolutely fantastic. The children have done well. Um, we still get along well. As a matter of fact, um, Zilfa and her husband um, they're married a month now. Congratulations, by the way, um, are coming over Christmas Eve. So we're 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 still um, getting along. But um, the criticism to us that we encouraged or took divorce lightly is complete bullshit. And um, whoever says it should, should be poked in the nose. All right. Um, Richard Harris, um, that some of the most important and influential people with Mormon expression you've never heard of. I know there's some people who've been on once or twice who use it as a calling card, but there are people who have been working with this podcast for a long time. Richard Harris is one of them. He came on very early and helped me build the website. He was um, technologically instrumental. There's been more than one time we've been brought down by hackers that he has come in overnight and fixed us. And um, and he he lives in Oslo also. Um, he is a wonderful friend and has been key. Mormon expression probably would have never gotten where it was without Richard's help. So Richard, I love you. Um, the second wave came um, um, about six months in. The first of the second wave was Mike Tannehill. Mike Tannehill was not there from the beginning, although I had known Mike for years, arguing online, and Mike is a really, I promise you, he's a really nice guy. And I've had to ban him from my own podcast or my own Facebook feed more than once. Um, but he, he is, he is a genuinely nice person. And I have had the blessing of meeting him and his wife 
and I will tell you that his wife is in charge. So if that helps you understand the dynamics of Mike Tannehill at all, then um, then so be it. Um, right after Mike came, um, Jack, um, Bridget, um, and um, she was evangelical but was married to a Mormon at the time. And um, she gave great guidance, um, and she was she was a fantastic addition. Um, and um, I chat with her every so often. She's she's doing fantastic things, and and um, and she went her way. And then um, Glenn Oslin. Glenn is a creative and intelligent guy. Um, he he um, founded and started the Infants on Thrones podcast, which I recommend to anybody. Um, you know, one of the the creative differences that he and I had is he really liked that um, radio lab style that they do, um, which works. But um, for me, it was just a bridge too far in a weekly show. And I've, I've been pleased that they've been able to pull it off. Um, and, and they've done some, some, some amazing things. So um, if you need your Mormon expression fix, I would say go over there to Infants on Thrones. You can hear Tom, Glenn. Um, there's some other guys who had made um, small appearances on Mormon expression, but those two were the, 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 the main Mormon expression guys. Um, after the second wave came in, we incorporated. Um, I started getting nervous, um, and this is—I talked about management problems. Um, I knew the church was really litigious, so, um, and I knew we were hanging ourselves out there with some stuff. So we um, incorporated, and we incorporated originally to protect me and my family, um, because the the from the very beginning, the podcast and the URL and all the properties were owned by me because I bought them all, and and. Um, um, lo and behold, my, my saving angel, Troy Olson came in. Now, Troy is great. I think he's on, um, he's on, um, expositor from time to time. Troy was our legal counsel. We were represented by a, um, he was a Washington DC attorney and got his firm on Pennsylvania Avenue to take us on pro bono. And he has been an excellent advisor, friend, um, just a, just an all-around great guy for years. And Troy has been the, the sort of legal counsel that's, that's helped us navigate some stormy water sometimes. We've never been sued, but I've said some stuff that might have got us in trouble from time to time, and, and, and I really appreciate the work that, that Troy did. Right about the same time, Troy, Jan um, Atwood um, is our um, accountant. And um, she's always kept us kept IRS off our back, and she's been with us for a long, long time, and been um, again a, a, a loyal friend and, and somebody who I, I is 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 wonderful. When I was up in Portland, one of the reasons I went up there was to see Jan, and um, she is a fantastic person. Um, then came the, the the okay, so so the original board of directors, by the way, um, um, was Zilpha, um, Tom. Um, Christian Anderson, who has been a longtime friend and supporter of the show, um, um, I talk to him probably at least once a month, and, and he remains a, a wonderful friend. He's moved on. And then Rich Rasmussen. I really want to bring up Rich. Rich is the muscle behind Mormon expression, and most of you probably don't even know who he is. He is one of the – if you're in Utah, you want to meet – you can't meet a more fantastic person than Rich. For years, he was the editor of Mormon Expression. And he came on, um, he didn't know me, and, and I, I brought him on really early. Um, he, he just, he said, I had listened anyway, so I'll just edit it. And he's probably edited 150, 170 of the, of the episodes, doing a lot of that grunt work. Um, and it couldn't have happened without him. He's still on the board of directors today, and still a, a trusted friend and advisor, and just an all-around nice guy. 
Um, and, and Mormon expression wouldn't have happened without him also. Um, the third wave came, um, and, and oftentimes people would sort of um, drift, um, direct, direction would move, whatever. The third wave, there's two individuals really who, who I especially owe my um, uh, uh, allegiance and friendship and, and, and thanks to. Heather showed up one time when we recorded in the front room at, at, the, at the old house out there. And I just remember her being, she was going through her own faith crisis and just sort of reaching out. And, and she came on with the sort of Mormon Expression family. She did wonderful work. She um, helped me get uh, voices started. That was really um, a lot of her creative work. And, and she still runs the Mormon Expositor podcast today, uh, a fantastic person. And well, again, if you want your sort of Mormon expression fix, um, a Mormon Expositor is another great place to go. And then Amy Blosh. Um, Amy is, uh, how do you describe Amy? Um, but Amy ha was a true friend to me, and she held my hand literally during the divorce. And um, she was... Um, um, and remains to this day, you know, a loyal supporter and a great friend and just somebody who um, who made things wonderful. And the only reason I don't talk to her as much anymore, she moved to New Mexico. And But um, Amy and I were talking just a few weeks ago, and and um, I, I've, I've had the opportunity to meet some wonderful people. Around about this time, of course, the intrepid Lindsay Park came into my, uh, into my life. Um, and Lindsay... Um, has really shaped and um, helped me be a better human being and really been instrumental in the back end of Mormon expression. She doesn't like to admit it because she likes to have street cred with the, like the believers, but um, she really um, does a lot here. And she's, she's on our board of directors today. Um, Lindsay was a fantastic friend. Again, through, through my divorce, she was, a, she was a huge support. And she does that with lots of people. She spends all day on the phone counseling people. Um, she and she she's running Sunstone these days. So um, um, I asked her to take over this podcast, but she already had too many um, irons in the fire. But um, she has agreed to stick around. So Lindsay, uh, again, the podcast would have died um, when I got divorced if it wasn't for Lindsay. Um, I spoke a little bit about burning down the the VIP lounge in a podcast the other day. The the moderation team of the old VIP lounge. Um, uh, Megan, Kim, Toby, Pam, and Lindsay have become fast friends, and uh, most will travel across the country to see one another. Um, they are fantastic people, and they have been great advisors, both telling me to, you know, shut the fuck up, or, or telling me, you know, to helping me out. And they were there when people went for blood, and they were true friends and supporters at the time I needed it. Um, the, then we, we have um, the board of directors today is um, Wendy Weaver. Wendy is, is a fantastic friend. She's given a lot of great advice for, for Whitefields as we've grown. Um, Lindsay's on the board of directors. Jeff Ricks, um, who's been running post-Mormon for years, is on the board of directors. And, of course, Rich um, remains. Two people who help out today a lot, Rachel Goss. Um, she's our admin. Um, I just can't keep up with everything, and she helps me there. And Katrine Judd, um, a marvelous person, has come take the work that Heather built and run with it and done wonderful things with very little direction. And I call her every so often and see if she needs anything, but she's been able to do wonderful things. Um, the, the studio has been really 
able to happen by the tireless work of two people, which is um, Randy Perry, our producer, and Charles, um, who's sitting there in the engineer's seat, um, night after night, always here, always doing the grunt work and making sure it happens. And there have literally been hundreds and hundreds of people who've appeared on the podcast. One thing from the when we transferred out of, for various reasons, we moved from having just this, the standard podcast pool. Um, I, I had a vision, I had a dream of having basically anybody who ever wanted to to be able to appear on the podcast. And I've done my damnedest to make sure that could happen. If you wanted on, all you had to do is call Randy. He would work in. And I think, although... It's hard to get a word in edgewise. I realize um, it's been a great opportunity to hear from so many different people and have so many different voices have been shared. And then the literally thousands, it's been thousands who've come to this studio um, and thousands and thousands who've sent me encouraging notes and um, bottles of scotch. And there was a time when women would send me topless pictures, but it all dried up. I don't know what <laughs> happened. It was a short, brief period of time. I must have said something at one time. Whatever I said, I need to say it again, but I don't know what it, I don't know what it was. But there, there was, there's always been a lot of encouragement. I, 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 know, I know it's hard to listen to that, but Mormon Expression has always been a collaborative effort. And I count myself lucky that, um, that all of these people um, were influential in my life. And all these people helped um, shape the creative direction of what we're able to do. And I'm really, um, I'm really excited about moving forward um, with, with the podcast. And um, there's a whole new set of topics to talk about and, and, and great new things. So um, I don't know where my journey is going to take me next. Um, the world's wide open. I'm at a crossroads, and I'm literally making those sort of choices that that um, don't tie me into things. Um, I'm I'm really excited about my career and what I do in the day. Uh, my kids are doing great. They're here tonight, and uh, of course, they're the, the 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 most important thing in my life. And um, and I count myself lucky if I drop dead tomorrow that I was able to interact with all of you. Um, fine people and all the people who've who have um reached out to me i wish i had more time i should have more time now to um to share i have people have been giving me um, bottles of scotch um from time to time here at the studio i i do repent from time to time i have about two drinks a month which means i have this fantastic liquor cabinet (laughs) Because um, I really don't drink that much. I know I made it sound on the podcast like I'm a big drinker. I don't drink that much. So you're all invited over um, to have a, a glass of scotch um, with me from this fantastic gifts that people have given me. So to everybody who's been around, um, find me and say hi. I'd love to give you a, a big kiss. And, um, and um, I'm glad to be done. Thanks, everybody. Good night.